Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. Obviously, a uh, a lot going on after a big sports weekend, and we'll talk about all of it. Cody Rourke from Mile High Sports will join us, especially after looking at the extraordinary quarterback duel we saw last night. Uh, how much ground the Denver Broncos have to make up? Spoiler alert: it's a lot. But we would be remiss if we did not start the program talking about. Uh, especially in this business with sports and sports radio, the passing of a person I think you could fairly say, oftentimes is turned around, as a titan in sports broadcasting in Colorado, Larry Zimmer, the longtime voice of the Denver Broncos and the Colorado Buffaloes, uh, passes away over the weekend. And uh, I had a lot of text conversations uh, with, with friends about that. So many people that grew up here that, that Larry Zimmer was the voice of a, great number especially born raised in colorado and a colorado buffalo uh, a person who was a a great number of my childhood memories and going far far deeper into that and uh i I mean i can still hear his voice in my head easily i can recall it at at, at will and in your case sandy of course you know you you worked over at koa you you knew larry zimmer worked with him and and you started working covering the Broncos in the late 70s. So, I mean, you overlapped for quite a bit, and I'm sure this was a a challenging weekend. It was, although uh, I always thought of Larry as a great fighter, and particularly in recent years uh, when I had a chance to see uh, Larry and uh, his uh, lovely wife, Bridget, uh, at sporting events, particularly at CU Games. uh, Larry was not always in the best of health. But, boy, he was as tough as they came. And he lived a long, uh, good life. Uh, Professionally and personally, I always had the greatest admiration uh, and affection for Larry Zimmer. Uh, Held him in high regard. Um, uh, When I came to Denver in 1979, uh, I was uh, uh, somewhere between an intern and a professional much closer to being an intern than I was a <laughs> professional. And uh, the staff then uh, at uh, KOA Radio and KOA Television included Bob Martin, who was the sports director, right? Larry Zimmer, who was the associate sports director, Ron Zapolo, Larry Zimmer, and Mark Holtz. And I'm joining this cast <laughs> and all our legendary <laughs> memorable voices uh, for people. I came out here when I was uh, 21 years old, about to turn 22 and 
the first night I was here officially as an employee, Bob Martin and Larry Zimmer were doing a preseason game between Denver and Washington at Old Mile High Stadium. And I was the spotter uh, for that game. Uh, Larry did analysis, but you had two radio professionals in the booth, not the standard former player combined with a radio or TV guy doing play-by-play. You had two radio professionals, and I learned so much that night uh, about all aspects uh, of uh, radio and radio play-by-play and covering a game, pregame, in-game, halftime, postgame. I later did a postgame talk show for KOA Radio, uh, and Larry was obviously uh, someone I uh, respected uh, greatly um, and uh, sought counsel from, and he was so warm and so encouraging. Um, needless to say, in many areas, I didn't really know what I was doing, and Larry was more patient with me than anybody else. Now, I, I was closer in age to Ron Zapolo and Al Albert and even Mark Holtz, and so my relationship with them was a little bit different. But uh, Larry was uh, avuncular in manner, um, a serious and versatile broadcaster. I believe his first year doing CU football was 1970. If I'm off by a year, uh, I'm not off by You're off by exactly one, 1971. Mm-hmm. Bob Martin hired him to be yeah. the, for play-by-play. That, that's, that's right. Uh, and for the Bronx. Was hired for and both he jobs. Was, he was hired for both jobs. And right. also, by the way, for a lot of that, also did the men's basketball it, games did for see CU basketball. as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. did CU basketball for a, a long period of time. Uh, Jeff Kingery came in and took over, and I did some uh, analysis work uh, alongside uh, uh, Jeff. But uh, Larry, I, I thought in a, in a lot of ways, was, was the glue that held the department together. You can imagine with uh, uh, five play-by-play guys and uh, uh, a young whippersnapper. Uh, you know, Ron was a, uh, the best TV anchor I ever saw. But uh, you can imagine the egos were uh, pretty large. And it was a great learning ground for me. I, I'm learning from the best right. of the best. Uh, Al Albert, the greatest, uh, in my opinion, and I, with all due respect to his older brother, Marv, whom I know uh, well, the greatest uh, basketball voice, uh, I thought, on radio at the very least, uh, also did a lot of television. Uh, Larry did some TV. And, in fact, uh, if you go back and you watch the 30 for 30 on ESPN on North Carolina State and their glorious championship run in 1983, uh, never give up you know, the famous Jim Valvano line, and that was North Carolina State in 1983, you'll see Larry and Irv Brown doing a North Carolina State tournament game. Mm -hmm. I believe in Salt Lake City. Also called games for football at the University of Michigan. He did. For a time as well. He did. And uh, Rudy Timjanovic, the great Michigan basketball player, was nicknamed Rudy T., 
by none other than Larry Zimmer. That's where Rudy T came from. Larry Zimmer coined the nickname for Rudy Timjanovich, a great player and later, of course, a championship coach two times over uh, with the Houston Rockets. Uh, Larry attended the University of Missouri and uh, called the fifth down game on radio. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing with uh, some mixed emotions at the time, but uh, uh, Larry was the voice of Colorado football during their national championship season, uh, shared or otherwise, depending on your perspective, uh, in 1990, and uh, was uh, the voice of the Broncos as well after uh, Bob Martin passed away in uh, the early days of 1990. Uh, Larry was a Titan. You chose exactly the right word. I mean, he, he was a Titan. He called games for the, for the Denver Rockets. He did. Of the ABA at he one did. point. If you remember the very beginning of soccer, North American Soccer League, the Colorado yep. Caribou yep. called for that. But he obviously synonymous with the Broncos and the Buffs and with good reason. Uh, it, you know, a lot of people like stats to, to help them visualize things. Visualize this. He called 536 Denver Broncos games. Yeah. 536. No one will. Get Another close to that. 486 CU Buffalo football games. Yeah. That's right. And then count basketball, 525. That, that would be more, more. than 1,000, and counting basketball, and like he, 500, he, right? something more. He also so called you're a, around 1,500. Three dozen, which seems like no nothing compared to the numbers yeah. here for CSU. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and that was an unusual story, too, yeah. because. Uh, uh, Eddie Crowder and Bob Martin were never best friends, and they were negotiating an extension of the CU deal in the early 1980s. But, I mean, think about that. That's three seasons. And for, for three, <laughs> yeah, years, three years, uh, uh, CU moved to another outlet. And so we at KOA became uh, the voice of CSU football. And at that point, uh, Larry was doing CSU football but games it, yeah, as well. If you listen, if you listen to this show, I feel very confident that out of locally alone, the 1,581 games mm-hmm. that Larry Zimmer called in his career, you've heard a bunch of them. And you probably like me, and part of the reason you're a sports fan is because of those calls and the way they were explained and the way they were, uh, you were able to visualize them. And it's a large part of, you know, I, I can't say I've ever, I never had the pleasure of meeting, meeting Larry Zimmer, but I can't say that I'm not where I am today sitting next to you and not give him credit for some of that. Oh. Because obviously it was something that, that I, I enjoyed, something that I, to a certain extent, either consciously or subconsciously modeled part of my approach after that. And that's a phenomenal legacy. I mean, you're talking about people that he's never met, the impacted. And, and I get it. For, for you, it's a, comparatively, it's a drop in the bucket. But I've been on air Monday through Friday in Denver. This is year 13 in a row that compared to you. It seems tiny. It's nothing, but it, it's not, it's, uh, it's not bad, quite frankly, in this business. And the, the ability to continue to do this in, in such that this tremendous state with this tremendous fan base is such a thrill. And part of the reason it, and it's not unfair to say this part of the reason it is such a good fan base for both the Broncos and the Buffs is because when you have a longtime person who calls those games, to a certain extent, they shape that fan base. They really do. And 
you think of Vince Scully with the Dodgers, for example. You think of, of, of Harry Carey with the Cubs. You think of, of, of Jack Buck with the Cardinals. Uh, you think of all these, these announcers that have been the longtime voice of their team. Their fan base, after a while, takes on some of that character. The, the, the very nature of what we now call Broncos country has been shaped for literally generations by Larry Zimmer. Oh, I, I think that's true, and he's synonymous with CU football. Absolutely uh, synonymous. The ever-capable Mark Johnson does, does the games now, and Mark had a chance to work with Larry for a few years. Our friend and co-worker yeah. Alfred Williams, who we Absolutely. worked with for years, said, quote, there was only one guy in the country who sounded like him, and when you heard him, you knew it was a CU or a Bronco game. You're exactly right. And, you know, people say uh, on occasion when they see you and might recognize you or see me recognize me, boy, you have great pipes. Neither one of us had the voice that Larry Zimmer had. La- Larry Zimmer had an all Or Mark Johnson for that great point, but yeah. play-by-play voice. Yes. He knew how to modulate. That's the trick. He was not a screamer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he, he did not groan on and, that's and a on trick. In, in, in a kind of uh, monotone right. fashion. He he found the right rhythm for every game he called. Uh, we remember some of the great CU teams that uh, Larry described through the years. Larry was also around for the Chuck Fairbanks years <laughs> and some of the dark years Pretty that lean. followed even Chuck Fairbanks, the early years of Bill McCartney. And I thought during those years, Larry was in a very, very tough spot, and he was one of the great voices for that time. And for a period there, uh, he and Ron, uh, two broadcast professionals, were doing CU football, and they weren't very good. And yet, you'd listen to hear Larry Zimmer's voice. Yeah. (laughs) That was worth uh, the price of admission. This from... uh, Mike Shanahan, and... And for those who can't see it, by the way, milehighsports.com or the app, you'll notice that Sandy's just going through his phone. Yeah. This is the text conversation he's had today. I was texting with Mike. (laughs) And uh, uh, lost a good man in Larry. Had a chance to visit with him a couple of days before he passed. A special man, triple exclamation point. Very well said. From the great coach. Yeah, I'm not sure what else uh, can be said. A tremendous, tremendous loss for the, the Colorado sports community. Uh, the great Larry Zimmer passes away at the age of 88, but leaves a, a remarkable, and we I, I gave you the numbers, an untouchable legacy. And nobody disliked Larry Zimmer. No. No one. No. I was one of the kids no who one. turned up. Well, I didn't do it. My parents did it. That turned off the TV sound when Broncos games were on because they'd rather listen to Larry Zimmer call the game than the, t- the folks on TV. And so, yeah, just a, a tremendous loss. Love to get your uh, thoughts as well. I'm sure many of you had heard over the years with CU football at the Broncos, a lot of Larry Zimmer's calls. The caller text line is 303-831-1340. Sandy will uh, pay a little bit of attention, of course, too. And we'll do this over the course of the show. As I mentioned, Cody Rourke will join us at the top of the hour. Y- your your thoughts initially, at least on the, the playoff round. We had Nate Lundy on uh, before the, the game started, before the game started this week and talk about betting. And he said, look, look like a favorites weekend. And if you bet all the favorites uh, on the money line, you could get slight plus money. And he said, that's what he was doing. Well, Nate did pretty well this weekend because that's exactly uh, what happened, but it didn't happen in the way you'd expect. I think the Ravens, although Buffalo uh, lost. The, as the, a favorite. The, yes, slight you're, you're favorite. correct. The Ravens cruised. The uh, Niners had a, uh, 
a bit of a rock fight. Oh, the, uh, no doubt. Buccaneers were certainly game and gave the Lions a, a, quite a bit of a, a, a game, except I think the Lions were certainly better. And then the Chiefs and Bills was just an all-timer, period. I mean, two quarterbacks at their absolute apex. Uh, it, it is almost ridiculous. Uh, I, I put that on social media as the game went on. I said, I'd very much like this game to go to three or four overtimes, please. I just didn't, I didn't want it to stop. I mean, you were, you were watching, I thought, the quarterback position, and we've seen a lot from these guys, and Lamar Jackson. I thought we watched the quarterback position being reinvented on the fly by Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in the way Nikola Jokic is reinventing basketball. The position will not be played the same way after these two guys retire. No, no, and they're marvels. Uh, uh, Mahomes was at his best, uh, played his best game of the year in the biggest moment, uh, so did Kelsey. But these two quarterbacks were simply magnificent. And uh, I, I don't think the quarterbacks in particular decided the game. They were both so good. Right. To say one was better than the That's other would be point. unfair mm-hmm. uh, to both of them, really. Uh, they were both uh, stupendous. And, you know, I want to say it's the best playoff game I've ever seen played between Buffalo and Kansas City and between Allen and Mahomes. Right. But the 42-36 game when Kansas City had to score in 13 seconds to force overtime, that was pretty good, too. That one, though, is in Kansas City. This was in Buffalo. The first time the Chiefs have ever played with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid together, a road game in the playoffs, and, boy, did they come through with flying colors. I mean, think about this. The, The Chiefs became the first team in NFL history to win at least two playoff games in five straight years. That's remarkable. How about this? Since before Patrick Mahomes joined Kansas City Chiefs, the AFL franchise, long history. The Chiefs had never hosted an AFC championship since Mahomes arrived. They've only played in AFC championships. Patrick Mahomes' season has never ended than the earliest, and they've hosted hosted five. Their entire history never hosted an AFC championship. They've since hosted five AFC championships, Mahomes. And how about this? In the last three playoff games, first quarterback, at least since they can track, since the merger and the, the, yeah. the folks who put this together over at Stathead, they didn't they couldn't verify because you know, sacks were not a thing. It's different. But in the last three playoff starts, going back from yesterday, here's where Mahomes has been. 27 points scored, two touchdowns. 26 points and one touchdown against the Dolphins. 38 points and three touchdowns versus the Eagles in the Super Bowl. All three of those games, no interceptions, no sacks. No quarterback in the history of the NFL has ever, had three consecutive playoff games without yep. being intercepted or sacked. It's yep. never happened. This man has Buffalo never, near him. never not played in the FC Championship. And how about this one? Because they did have to come from behind. Trailing by seven points or more in the playoffs over the last five years. The NFL, outside of Mahomes and the Chiefs, is 11-53, and 53, as you expect. A 172 winning percentage when you're down seven or more points. And that's at any point in the game. Mahomes is 8-1. and one. Mahomes and the Chiefs are eight and one when they're down seven. Are you kidding? I mean, you have just the the combination of quarterback and coach, and and I do want to put Kelsey in there. Yeah. And Chris Jones and Nick Bolton and Algerius Sneed, guys that have had that championship pedigree. That's what I said on Friday. I said, I I could very well see the Bills winning this game, but I go in with the guys who have been there and done it until you you had the game pegged. 
And, uh, you know, I, I just thought it it was Buffalo's time, but you, you've got to make the plays. And I'm not talking about the missed field goal at the end. I know the Buffalo people probably are talking about By little the way, else today. You would have given Mahomes, remember last time he beat, you know, in 17 seconds, you would have given him a minute and 43 yeah, and two timeouts. Yeah. Leading only a three with Harrison Butker as your kicker. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Now, um, as I remember, Buffalo had the wind in the fourth quarter. They did. Which should have helped. He just bass. Bass. He just just and worked against Butker, but Mm. Butker made a long one. Butker just at that end earlier in the the game just drove it right through the wind. You know, he must play golf because you keep it low, yep. golf in the wind, you don't kick it up in the air. Well, he kicked that one up in the air, and one of the Chiefs, I can't remember who it was, and it might have been Mahomes. Peter King had uh, his column today with a quote from Mahomes in the locker room, that the ball seemed to almost freeze in midair and then veer off widely to the right. Now, there was a left-to-right wind I mean, blowing. I, as soon as he kicked it, I thought he missed but it. it. I, I it thought he missed right, it. But... It was just way up in the air. Yeah. I, I mean, and so the wind took he got, it. He did get under it probably too much. Effect. He yeah. got he just he, he got under it a little bit, and it, you feel terrible for for a guy missing in that situation. Uh, but at the same time, you 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 have to look at Buffalo, and uh, you know I texted this out to a number of friends of mine when Stephon Gibbs caught yeah. that pass yeah. uh, and then dropped it. Yep. But actually never had yeah, did, control. It, it went right through his hands. Right through his hands. When he yep. dropped that hand, I said, that's a game ender. That's a game ender. It's also going to be the maybe end of his time he in still misses the field goal, but it would have been from a lot closer than 44 yeah. yards. And, well, and they might have still been able to go for the end zone once or twice, uh, you're, you're exactly right. You're, you're, no, you're D- right. Diggs had a right. bad game at a bad no, time. I, I thought Diggs was bad. Now, he was, he was open underneath. When Allen yep. threw for the end zone and missed, and it was odd just because, not because it was the wrong read. Actually, the guy in the end zone was open too, but been, Allen missed He it. had averaged on his completions yesterday 0.7 yards, air yards. Yeah. Okay? Uh, it, all game long, he was throwing underneath. And then on that occasion, you know, Chris Jones beat the, the Dawkins uh, on the pass rush and, and affected the throw. Uh, but... He did have Diggs crossing. Of course, Diggs might have dropped that one. So uh, it, it was not a good day for Stefan Diggs, uh, who I agree with you is not long for Buffalo. Buffalo's too old now. I think, uh, I Buffalo's got to get younger, especially yeah. on defense, and older, smaller players get hurt. I don't think uh, the window's closed. Milano's close. the best defensive player. He got hurt uh, weeks ago. Well, he's 220 pounds yeah. playing inside linebacker. You know, those guys don't last. Interesting point, by the way, that you made. And he's not a kid. Sandy, we'll have to talk about it when we're talking about quarterbacks. Josh Allen's longest completion was 15 yards. Longest. Well, here's the key stat. Kansas City, a season-high eight plays of 20 or more yards. Buffalo, as you just mentioned, zero plays of 20 or more yards. Kansas City was the deserving winner. More than double the yards per per attempt for Mahomes over Allen. Remarkable. Well... Big news might be coming for the Colorado Rockies tomorrow as the Baseball Hall of Fame announces its election. I'll tell you where Todd Helton stands the only up kinds, at the moment. Only kinds of good news the Rockies get is so, during the offseason when former players get on. Yeah, well, Larry Walker. It might be um, a while till the next one. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. We ain't never
Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, according to the uh, inimitable Ryan Thibodeau, who does a brilliant job, uh, uh, one of the baseball writers from America who actually has years ago decided he was going to petition his fellow voters to send in their ballots and make it transparent. And he doesn't get all of them, but every year he's gotten more and more and more of them, which is great because then you have those one one East Coast weirdo who only votes for one person every single year. And yeah. it happens to be the one. So uh, hopefully the idea with transparency would make it better. Well, as it stands right now, that uh, you know, they know 51% of the, the ballots at the moment, which is still a decent chunk of their publicized. And as it stands, as of literally 10 minutes ago, five people would make the Hall of Fame. When it's announced tomorrow, Gary Sheffield, who is hovering at 75% right on the button, that may be touch and go because generally when you look at these numbers over the last couple of years, and I've watched this for years, they will drop a handful of percentages. It, it won't, it doesn't hold up directly as to what you have. So Sheffield is really borderline and actually probably more likely not to make it than make it in his 10th year on the ballot. The next person up would be Billy Wagner, who sits at 78.6. That'll be touch and go as well. You have to get 75% for inductions. Wagner at 78.6. Uh, the tippy top, not going to be a problem. On 99% of those ballots, Adrian Beltre. Uh, Adrian Beltre will almost certainly make it. Uh, obviously, good reason to make it, but his first year on the ballot, currently receiving a multitude of votes. Joe Maurer, the, the terrific longtime catcher for the Twins now sitting at 83.2% in his first year on the ballot. Those first-year guys have a tendency to knock other guys down. But right now, Todd Helton sits a third at 82.1, which is within the margin where you would expect Todd Helton tomorrow Hope so. to be in, elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And it would not, it would be extremely close. It is only Helton's sixth year on the ballot, which the way these tend to go, last year he was at 72%, right now pulling 80 There's sort of a rhythm for these things, Sandy, as you well know. Sometimes, you know, over the course of years, you make a slow gain, slow gain, and then maybe after a while somebody makes a good point or it becomes obvious, and then they make a jump. And then after they make a jump, it kind of feels like it's just a matter of time, and that's what happened with Larry Walker. Yes. And it appears to be what's going to happen with Todd Helton as soon as tomorrow. I hope so. In much the same way it happened with Larry Walker. But Uh, but, uh, Walker, of course, would be... And was rightly considered as, as Expo's career, an outstanding Expo's career, part of, of the equation. Todd Elton had one team ever, the yep. Colorado Rockies. Right. What does it mean to finally have your own player who played 100% of their games in your team's uniform in the hall? There's no question about what cap he's wearing. Uh, this, this, is, this is Todd Helton, and I do think it means something different for the organization. I, I think it means a lot. Because when you, uh, again, you think, we were talking about Larry Zimmer a few minutes ago, when you think of CU football, you think of Larry Zimmer. Uh, he was the constant for what, three decades plus, 70s, right. 80s, 90s, into the 2000s. Uh, you think of the Rockies, you think of Todd Helton. You really do. Uh, a homegrown player um, and played much of his career, most of his career here, as a matter of fact, 
post-humidor. Correct. Not pre-humidor. Right. Post-humidor. Right. And uh, started in 1997 after he basically unseated Andres Galarraga. That, that year he played a little bit in that first year, 97, then 98, took over in full-time for Galarraga. Yeah. And uh, finished second in Rookie of the Year voting and just went on to have some extraordinary seasons. Five straight All-Star uh, campaigns from 2000 to 2004. Uh, in which he was dominant, that 2000 season, in which he won the batting title with a 372. Keep this in mind, too, because maybe 20, nearly 25 years ago, you didn't think of those same stats. But now we think about OBP and ops, right? Helton led the league in batting average at 372. He led the league in on-base percentage at 463. He led the league in slugging at 698. He led the league in total bases at 405. He led the league in RBIs with 47. He led the league in doubles with 59. 216 hits led the league. OPS, 1.162 on the year, which is ridiculous. In that five-year run in which he made the All-Star game, he never dipped below one, ever. That's stunning, whether you play in Coors Field or not. And Todd had very good years and had big hits down the stretch in 2007 when the Rockies finally made it to the World Series. And... I mean, he still had 320 that year. It wasn't like it was ho-hum. Right. No. And I think when I think of their comeback over the last two weeks or so of the regular season and on into the postseason through the division round and then the National League Championship Series, where they remained unbeaten, right? Yeah. Um, I think of the home run he hit against the Dodgers that started the streak. Oh, in right. The ninth inning that started the streak. I was at that game actually yeah. in right field as a fan. That, that's the on Todd that Helton that, moment. Yes. I yes. Absolutely. A lot of people had kind of left and then they kept scraping back and scraping back. And then, oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, what a. I uh, mean, to me, that triggered everything. It did. It, it triggered everything. And he was marvelous during that stretch. And um, I believe in 2009, uh, when they got back to the postseason. Mm-hmm. He had a pretty good year in He still had 325 that yeah. year. 325. Yeah, pretty now, good year. The, the, the power after the back injury yeah. started to get him after about 32, sure. 33, sapped a lot of the power. But he had 325 at the age of 35 in 2009. He had 302 yeah. at the age of 37 yeah. uh, with the Rockies. And at no and again, point these time, are post-humidor years. And this was a guy that, by the way, never, never lost his glove. Three gold gloves no, could have easily won be, more than that. That should be a part of the Hall of Fame consideration. Phenomenal too. defensive uh, right. I, I, I've seen baseman, just phenomenal. great defensive first baseman. Uh, I grew up as kind of a Red Sox fan because my father uh, was a fan. My grandfather was. And the first games I ever went to were at Fenway Park. And when I think of great defensive first baseman, uh, I think of George Scott. Uh, later with the Mets. Uh, the team of my youth, Keith Hernandez, among the great defensive first baseman of all time. Todd Helton was right up there in that he, class. He's in that class. I think so. Yeah, I just a, a phenomenal player. And it, the funny thing is, it's easy to forget. You know, he played first base, but he also, when he was at Tennessee, he was the right fielder as well. And the and closer. The closer on the baseball yeah. team, as well he pitched, mind you. Yeah. Closer on the baseball That's team right. for the for Tennessee and their right fielder. Uh, and as as famously noted, during his freshman year, the man who started at quarterback when his backup was Peyton Manning. Yes. That's and true. and if you want 
further impact, at least in Colorado, I, well, I mean, you can ask Peyton Manning about it. Todd Helton is one of the reasons that he was sold on Colorado. When Peyton Manning was deciding on where to sign. Todd Helton and Peyton Manning, very close friends. Have remained close friends. And, yeah. Helton would work out with Peyton Manning. Right. When Manning was uh, starting to throw once again. Yep. And even at, sometimes it would be footballs, which they could throw. And sometimes even very quietly, they'd even toss a baseball back yeah. and forth too, where, you know, right. there's some, uh, so it's, it's obviously, it's a, a huge footprint in the Rockies history. I mean, he's atop the, the list by a wide margin, but also, I mean, if you, you're looking at the best player for every team and I get it, the Rockies don't have the history of other teams, but Todd Helton's career stacks up as well as virtually anybody who's ever played for the Nuggets for, for basketball or anyone who's played for the Avalanche. I mean, he didn't get the championship. Baseball, it's harder to do, as we know, the pro team like the Rockies. But there was no question that he was championship caliber. He had the, he had the length. He had the offensive. He had ability. He had the well, defensive yeah. ability. Uh, you know, the things you look you know, for in a Hall seasons. of Famer. Yep. Longevity and brilliance. Peak value, as we say. Right. And he had both. Yes. His peak value was tremendous. And imagine and this longevity. From, from guys nowadays, imagine this. In his career, and Todd Elton played, as, as we know, you know, it lays 2013. Think about it in today's baseball. But it was still even a part of that when he played. He finished with 1,175 strikeouts and 1,335 walks. Guys today don't do that. And you have to look at the number of seasons Helton finished with more strikeouts than walks. And you have to go either to the very beginning or the very very end. end. Because in the middle, this guy was 50 more walks a year than strikeouts. He had 100 strikeouts in his career once. And it was 104. And he had 336 that year. (laughs) This is a guy that put the bat on the ball and got results. Good batting, great batting eye. Great batting average, longevity, his, all of it. He deserves it, and uh, hopefully he will get it tomorrow. We will find out, and we'll have an opportunity oh, to talk day. about it. Tomorrow in sports. Yeah, with uh, longtime Rockies broadcaster Jenny Kavnar will join us to talk about Terrific. Uh, Todd Helton tomorrow. We'll, after we find that out in one way or another, uh, we'll have another surprise guest to do with that on, uh, on Wednesday as well. But certainly a uh, hope for Helton to be able to uh, get that that big moment because it does feel it's deserved. And it would feel like a breakthrough for the Rockies, I think, at a certain point. A vindication, and maybe it is post-humidor required that that the Rockies now yeah, you have to evaluate and, them differently. Yeah, and you couldn't quite make the argument that people always made pre-humidor that you know anybody could hit 350 playing in Coors Field half the time. Right, and so you know they they ended up breaking that with Walker, and now with uh, with Helton, and uh, it will be a while though until the next one. For the Rockies, uh, because that's just oh, the we way won't see his leg again. No, and, and not the, around and here. The truth of the matter is, until Nolan Arenado, five years after he retires, there has not been a Rocky since that will even get consideration. So it's going to be a long time until the uh, until the Rockies have anyone else uh, anywhere close. Torrey Lewitsky simply didn't play long enough. Trevor uh, Story and Carlos Gonzalez, kind of the same thing. Uh, Charlie Blackman's been a great player for the Rockies. I, I don't think anyone's going to say he's a Hall of Famer. No, no. The peak value was that longevity, right. yes. Peak value, no. So it's going to be a bit. Uh, it will be Helton and Walker and Arenado when that eventually gets there, and that'll be it for the Rockies for a long time until they turn it around. But it could be exciting for one of the best athletes that's ever come through Colorado. Well, one of the other best athletes that ever come through Colorado had five points in a game this weekend, and... Uh, if you like uh, unselfish play, allow me to introduce you to one Nathan McKinnon. We'll talk about what he did this weekend next on Miley Sports.
leave another sticks and I You said all you see is I try but I can figure out I've been next to you all night and still don't know what you're about This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports Got a lot to talk about with uh, Nathan McKinnon, but the All-Star Game pick their captains. The person you're hearing, Canadian singer Tate McRae, will be the celebrity captain of the team co-captained by Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. So uh, having some fun with that, obviously. The Avs find a uh, a way to really get the goal scoring. They end up with seven, and as they knock off the Flyers, seven to four. Nathan McKinnon with some confusion there. For a while, uh, considered with giving given five points. The official NHL tally uh, ended up with four. It appears that the last power play goal that Miko Randon scored that was originally credited to McCarr and McKinnon with the second assist then went to Jonathan Juan, his uh, 16th assist of the year. So regardless, four points for McKinnon. Not too shabby, but maybe the, the most fun of it is that in that game, Logan O'Connor had two goals as the Flyers pulled their goaltender. McKinnon right. gets the puck on a breakaway. There's no one there. It's the easiest empty netter in the world. McKinnon recognizes that O'Connor, who has had two goals in the game, is on the ice with him. McKinnon slows down once he gets in the offensive zone, slides one over to LOC for the easy empty netter and the first hat trick of his career and it, it, it a pretty darn unselfish play. And after the game, Alta TV's Katie Goss had an opportunity to talk with McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon, Nate, and a road trip. Five games. This was a long one. Getting a victory here, making it a 3-2, going home. How good does that feel for this group? Yeah, it feels really good. Obviously, a lot of adversity. Um, like guys out, guys in and out. Um, but I think we're playing pretty solid. Obviously, that's a really good team. You know, they took it to us in the third period, but we hung on and, you know, built ourselves enough enough of a cushion in the second. Logan O'Connor with his first career hat trick. You got to pass the puck to him. What were you seeing? It looked like you knew you wanted to get it to him the whole time. Yeah, I think whenever it's a 2 on 0 you always pass, and uh, I'm happy that he, he was the guy there. Um, you know, he he deserves it. Um, you know, he's been great this season, and it's, uh, you know, pretty special to get your first hat trick for sure. Well, for you now, 78 points after the five here tonight. You have sole possession heading to bed tonight of the lead in scoring in the NHL. I know we don't talk about that a lot, but I know that probably means a good bit to you. Uh, well, I mean, it's uh, halfway through the season. Um, you know, obviously my, my job is to to be the player I can be for this group. And, um, you know, I got a lot of help out there. So it's a long, long season, and uh, I'm honestly not really thinking about it. You're doing a heck of a job. Thanks, Nate. Congrats on the win. Thank you. I, I would push back on Katie's assertion that that means a lot to him. I don't know it if really it does. doesn't. He's like Jokic that way. The, yeah. the, the stats really don't mean that much. As he immediately I, pointed I, out. I would say you know, this. At this point. I, I would say it's this. It's down to 77, I, but he still does lead the league yeah. in points. Kucherov I, with 76. I, I, I would say at the end of the year, uh, if he won the heart and the Az perform well in the playoffs, he'd appreciate winning the heart. Yes. But he'd appreciate winning the Stanley Cup more yeah, oh yeah. than the heart. I mean, if given the choice between having a heart trophy on his mantle and a Stanley Cup, there's no question, there's no doubt which one he'd choose. Although I think he's been deserving at least twice before of being the most valuable player in the league. And I think he is, frankly, a runaway favorite at, at the moment. I know Edmonton's hot, but McDavid got off to a slow start and 
McDavid's 18 points behind him. You know, he's 18 points behind him. He's not going to catch him, assuming 18. McKinnon remains healthy. And McKinnon's in the best shape of his life. He's playing better than he ever has in his life, and his level was already very high. Uh, we are fortunate. We've talked about this, I think, at the moment. Uh, we are watching the best basketball player in the world, Nikola Jokic, uh, as Joel Embiid testified yeah. to last week. And uh, we are watching the best hockey player in the world right now in Nathan McKinnon. It's it's pretty special. And you talk about that gap. McKinnon was 77 points. Kucherov is 76. But McKinnon is a plus 13. And Kucherov is a minus 2. Yep. The, oh, McKinnon's team is doing yeah, a lot better than right. And the next team. pursuer is David Pasternak, who uh, the Avalanche got a club close and personal with. And he got a couple of his points there. But he's 11 points behind. Yeah. Uh, Kucherov. And he scores goals. Kucherov okay. and Pasternak, 2 and 3, is 10 points. Yeah. I mean, McKinnon and Kucherov McKinnon are so far both. ahead. Uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. So, I mean, this has been a good stretch. And, yeah, I, I get it for Asfans. You're looking three and two on the road trip. You're like, hey, was that that good? It's pretty well, good. Well, yeah. That was, I, I mean, it, it, the three and two at the end, if you went into that trip. five games in eight days all on the road. they could get six points out of the ten, you'd say, okay, uh, they'll get two in Montreal. They'll get two in Ottawa and they'll win one of the other three. Well, they got Toronto. They came back to beat Ottawa, and they got Philadelphia. And two of the games were 7-4, to four, I right. believe. Correct. Both Ottawa and uh, Philly were 7-4. It, to four. it wasn't a defensive clinic that they put on no. during this road and trip. And that's been something of a concern. They 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 scored enough. Uh, you can't count on beating Boston, especially after you've beaten them once already. You can't count on beating them in their place. And, you know, the Montreal game was one of those games. They probably should have won in Montreal, but they could have lost in Toronto. I think 3-2 and two is just fine. Uh, yeah, Winnipeg is 30-10-4. and four. Uh, Nobody in the league has a better point percentage. No, they're on a, at the moment than Winnipeg. Crazy run and, right now. And, and, you have Winnipeg, you have Vancouver, and you have Boston, and then you have the Avs in terms of point percentages. And they're one of the top five teams in the league. Yes, there are concerns. Absolutely. But I think some of those concerns you can put into perspective, and some of those concerns go away when you get Byram, Lekkonen, and eventually Nishushkin back. I do think that helps a lot. And uh, yeah, some some of that concern, and especially when you talk about those three guys, because the Avs gave up in that in this five game run, seventeen goals, basically three and a half a game. Certainly not a great number, but Byram is a defenseman. Lekkonen is the Avalanche's best defensive forward. Nachushkin is quite possibly the Avalanche's second best defensive <laughs> forward. So, I mean... You, I mean, it's close between Lekkonen and Nishuk yeah, in, in that respect. I mean, you're talking about... The, they're different kinds of defensive very different players. Type. They're effective in Lekkinen's different ways. great with but the they're, stick, they're and the two best. great with the body. And, right. Yeah, I mean, that's, they're the two best defensive forwards on the team. So, you're missing your two best defensive forwards and one of your starting six defensemen. And, and starting yeah. four, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah that's actually true. You're, you're really you're one of your first two pair. Defenseman. The second tandem defenseman. And, no, he's not having a great year, but you're still missing him... In in a puck possession game, you like having Byram on your yes. side. Now Byram's not having the best year, and uh, you know it, it's. I guess the debate now is, uh, do the Avs need a second line center mm-hmm. more, or do they need a backup 
goaltender first and foremost to give Georgiev some relief. What is the best trade they can make? Yeah. There's some goaltenders there out there uh, who could be available. Uh, there's some centers out there, um, one in particular up in Calgary, who could be available. And I saw Sean Keeler suggesting that uh, uh, they trade uh, Nishushkin and uh, reacquire Kadri. Uh, I, I don't know I wouldn't, how. I wouldn't do that. Uh, I don't think how real. One, how realistic that is, and two, there's a five-year age difference. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I think, and I'm not saying Sean was doing this. I think it's time we stop stigmatizing guys for going into rehab. Right, and it is worth pointing out that Sean did not do that in his story. He did but, not. But no, there, I'm not there saying has he been did sort of a rumble all. that, like, oh well, I get you know time to trade to Chushkin. I'm like. Why? Yeah. Is everyone Why? saying that when Gerard came back? I'm like, I, Nishushkin could have been playing the best hockey of his right. career. He had looked phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, not only did he look great on the ice, he had a demeanor on the ice, which we've never seen him before, that was right. positive. Yeah. Uh, th- to and me, he had a problem and he dealt with it. It looks now, like this is what, all upswing what, right now for Nishushkin. If, if, you got to wait six weeks, you got to wait six weeks. If they were going to trade him, I think they would have done it after the Seattle deal. Right. And they I done think it in the now maybe we have kind of a sense of what that might have been about, but I give him credit when he's at the top of his game for admitting that the problem probably is one that has persisted and well, that I think he it was needs notable. to take care of now that he's, uh, he's a family man yep. with, with a wife and a, a young daughter. And I think that the way it was worded, and I get that I know it's you know written in part by his agent, but the, the way it was worded when he said, I want to take care of this, and his words were once and for all. That that means something. That means something. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's a, that's an, a, an admission that, look, this has been an issue. This is not new. I want to fix it, and I want to fix it permanently. Yeah. And I, I, I do think for the Avs, the goaltending situation is is up in the air. I think they have to play Annan more. He did get the win against Ottawa. I mean, granted, Ottawa's not good, so you need to get that win. But uh, they've got to find that out. I think that's one of the things the Avs have to look at. Can either Annan or Prozvatov take this job and run with it? And if they can't, you're going to have to make a move. But uh, it was promising to see Ross Colton play so well, three assists Ross in Colton that game. Ross Colton played his best um, game. Miles Wood is on yeah, a four-game point streak. He's hot. Since uh, coming back from illness, yeah. So I mean, some of the the, the guys that you want to see play better. The second line was great. The second line was uh, a Wood two points plus three, Colton three points yeah, on the three assists the plus three, O'Connor plus four right. with a hat trick, and uh, not secondary all scoring. played you can't do between than that. seventeen and eighteen minutes and forty five seconds. And you think that most of that should be your third line when Lekkinen and, and Natchushkin are back, and and you'll be in. You should be in pretty good shape. So it is it is tough. I do think the Az need to make a trade, and I think they have just enough ability to make, like you pointed out, one trade. One. One. Yes. They, they can probably yeah. trade for either a, a second-line center or a goaltender, but they can't do both. And 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 let me point out very quickly, uh, Georgiev, yes, first in the league in wins, but he's played more games than anybody else. Right. But Saros has played three fewer games. Um. Sorokin playing for the Islanders, thirty-four. It's a bad year games. for goaltenders, and there's not goaltenders a lot of, not a lot of depth. Bobrovsky's played thirty-four games. Yeah. Avalanche have played more games than most teams, and in terms of goals against, uh, yeah, he's thirty-fourth 
But Shesterkin, who was terrific last night, I watched much of the game they played in Anaheim, he's 26. Vasilevsky's 27th. Uh, Fleury is 30th. I heard his name come up it's over just, the it's weekend. It's an offensive year uh, right now. Bennington, mm-hmm. pretty good goaltender, Has won been. a Stanley Cup. Sure. He's 33rd, and Georgiev's 34th in save percentage. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, goals against, I'm sorry. Save percentage, he's 43rd. This is Georgiev. But you know what? Uh, Vasilevsky is 37th. Darcy Kemper is 44th behind Georgiev. So you want a Stanley Cup with Kemper. Right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just saying goaltending numbers are up or down, depending yeah. on your perspective, all over the NHL. Offense is up, which means the starters are, are playing more games because teams aren't willing to put their backups in there. I mean, that's the reality. And so maybe it might not be as impactful as you think, but you would like your give to have a break. We will have to see, and we'll continue to follow that. Of course, uh, the Avs will be back in action on Wednesday, back at home, briefly at home against the Capitals and Alexander Ovechkin. If you ever want to see Ovechkin, there's only so many chances left. Might, might wanna, not be many Might want to go see uh, him on Wednesday when he comes to Colorado. The Denver Broncos quarterback situation, especially in the light of what you witnessed this weekend, is uh, it's bad. It's real bad. Uh, how much do they have to make up? We'll talk about that and more about the Denver Broncos with uh, lead Broncos writer from Miley Sports, Cody Rourke. He'll be next on Miley Sports. Take every single...